Proverbs chapter 18. And it honestly is a joy to be back here. Looking at the, my notes, my first meeting with Fresno Church was in 1999. <laughs> How many were in the 1999 meeting? Probably a few. All right, sure enough. And so this is the ninth time back here. And uh, may the Lord breathe on us. As we sang a moment ago, behold our God. May these be days where we actually behold God. You know, when God manifests his presence, it's an amazing thing. I had a friend just uh, the other day call me about uh, some uh, college kids that are from his church. And uh, they, uh, they got stirred as they came into the second semester to uh, have a Bible study. That's, that's all it was. That, you know, they, they didn't have any other plans than that. And so uh, they started in Ephesians, and they were just reading verses and talking about them. And do you know this happened just a couple days ago? God came down on them. How do I explain this? The presence of God filled that room. Three boys, three young men in college. One young man explained it to his pastor. He said, I felt like I was drunk with joy. Now, most college guys don't explain it that way. <laughs> that means it was happening. God was doing something. God was meeting with them. And he, he told his pastor, he said, you know, this is just the, you know, the mercy of God. He said, I, it's not like I was seeking anything special, but God came. And one of the other uh, boys, which was the pastor's son himself, he said, you know, we were just, we, we started at 7 and we concluded at 2.30 in the morning. Do you know why that happens? It's because God is the great I am. And when the presence of God is manifested, now please don't misunderstand, it's not a physical manifestation, it's spiritual, but it's just as real as if it were physical. And when there's, another, when there's an awareness uh, of God's presence, God's omnipresent, but uh, many times we're not aware of his presence, but when God manifests his presence, then you're aware of his presence, and when that happens, you're in the presence of the great I am, which means time is lost. See, he's in the eternal present tense. We'll see that in a moment as we uh, dive into our, our uh, text this morning. But that's what happens. And they met with God. Well, God knows the kind of meeting we need. We're not seeking an it. We're not seeking for 7 o'clock to 2.30. We're seeking for whatever God wants us to have in him, through him, by him, for him, to him, in these days together. And uh, so we're going to look uh, here to begin with at Proverbs 18. Pastor Nick, thank you for the privilege of being here. May the Lord just breathe it all. This is a great crowd. I was scared to death with all the reports about, you know, COVID in uh, California, whatever. <laughs> and it may be a handful. This is wonderful. I appreciate you being here. And I know others that wish you could. Uh, thank you for watching on live stream. Uh, over these last two years, I've done all sorts of meetings. I've done meetings from my house to another state, <laughs> you know, with live stream, whatever. A few uh, days ago, I was supposed to be in Ireland and uh, meeting there, and they had a COVID outbreak, and so I did a Zoom meeting. <laughs> so I saw all their faces so I could see their responses, you know. They had to mute them so the dog, you know, couldn't hear the dog bark and whatever. But uh, <laughs> then we would talk ahead of time and talk afterwards. And so there's all sorts of ways these things can be done. But to may the Lord make these days count. So Proverbs 18. We're going to look at an amazing text here in just a moment. We live in a very troubled world. I think we know that. The last two years especially globally have been troubling to literally millions of people. And the troubles that we have here in the States are nothing compared to some of the troubles in other countries. At this very moment, there are 30,000, excuse me, 50,000 believers in prison in North Korea. See, American Christians need to know that. 50,000 believers 
in prison in North Korea. The fastest growing church in the world today is in Iran. Amazing, amazing. Uh, God's doing a tremendous work in the Middle Eastern co uh, countries as people are seeking. And uh, those who seek, God says they'll find. And God's doing some amazing things in that regard. There's countries like Myanmar. Uh, that is the country that used to be called Burma. Uh, they're under great duress right now with the military takeover, the coup. And, uh, you know, my dear friends are writing me. And every couple of days I get a new report. Yes, you know, just, you know, one block away we heard the guns exploding all night long. They've lost over 150 pastors to COVID in the Chin tribe alone in the country of Burma. This is troubling. You know, these are troubling times. And yet as I read their letters, they have their eyes on God. Because if you don't, you despair. And a lot of people in our world don't know to look at God. And so uh, they're looking every every other place as this, the sand shift politically. And with all the health scare and all the different things, people are looking for redemption in wrong places. But redemption is in a person. And so let's look at a picturesque text this morning. This is Proverbs 18 and verse 10. This is a proverb, and yet it's a picture, and it is marvelous truth. Proverbs 18, verse 10 says, The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run to it and are protected. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run to it and are protected. I want to speak this morning on our strong tower. Let's pray. Lord, we need you desperately. We thank you for times when you allow us to feel our need of you. Though we don't like that in certain ways, Often we need it. Lord, we need you when we don't feel our need. And so, Lord, today, in these troublesome times in our world, in hearts that in this audience right now might be troubled, may they find relief in you. Open our eyes to the beauty of the truth of this text. So I plead the victory of Jesus through the shed blood. Lord, protect us from Satan's attack. Protect us from interference, even in the atmosphere. Protect us from distractions. May your victory be manifest. Lord, breathe on us. May we see you. May we run to you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. For the last 20 years, normally I go to Ireland once a year. As I mentioned, this time I didn't get to go. But at one of those times when I was there, my dear friend David O'Gorman uh, took me to a beautiful town called Glendalough. Over there, a lock is a lake. So obviously this is a town that's by this beautiful lake. It's surrounded by mountains, the Green Mountains, you know, the Emerald Isle. It, it is a, it's a beautiful country. If you ever get a chance to go there. And uh, uh, this town in the middle of the town has some ancient ruins. And in the middle of those ruins, there is an ancient tower. That's not a castle. They have castles. I've been to some of those over there. Those are neat. This is just a tower. And it literally towers above everything else in this expensive valley. So we were standing there, and he was explaining some of the history. He said, now, he said, John, notice where the door is to this tower. It was not at ground level. It was well out of reach. And there's, there's this, this door. There's no staircase. There's no ladder. There's just a door. He said, now, the way this worked in former time periods, he said, when they, an enemy would was coming, 
then they would sound an alarm and everyone in the village and in the surrounding area would run to that tower. Now, I don't know what they used to get up to the door. <laughs> I wish I could find that part of the sound. Uh, I don't know if it was a rope, uh, you know, I, I have no idea, but they had their way of getting into that tower through that door. And when the last person was in, they would shut the door safe, protected above the enemy. Now, friends, that is the exact picture that God gives us in this text of Scripture. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run to it and are protected. You see, we're in those times uh, of danger. This is the whole picture. There's this central fortress, this tower, where in these times of danger we can run to and find refuge. And notice, it's not just a tower. It's a strong tower. It is a worthy place of refuge. And it's not a will be, it's an is. This is not out there. It's right now. This is available any moment of any day, 24-7. That's amazing. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. Is right now a strong tower. The righteous run to it. You say, oh man, I knew there'd be some condition. <laughs> the righteous <laughs> Yeah, why does it say that? You know, that kind of leaves me out. You know, I'm kind of a dud. And, and uh, you know, uh, I'm not very righteous. And, oh, man. Now, you need to understand. <laughs> if you are born again, something radically happened. You sang about it this morning. You see, the truth is, when you understand sin is the problem and that hell is the consequence and that Jesus is the answer, he's the Savior, he died for our sins, he rose again. And if you've understood that and made a choice to transfer your trust to Jesus alone to actually save you from sin and hell, that at that moment, not only were your sins covered, but the righteousness of Jesus was literally credited to your account so that from a legal standpoint before a holy God, from that moment forward, legally, you are declared righteous. You're in this group that God calls the righteous. The fact is... Even when you're on a bad day, legally, you're righteous. Because when you put your faith in Jesus, your sin was put on him and his righteousness was put on you. Now, in that provision, God wants us to access him so we can actually experience that righteousness in him. But the fact is, you're in the group. So this is not based on, okay, those who've had a good two weeks, they can do this. This is based on whether or not you know Jesus. Now, friend, if you don't know Jesus, you need to put your faith in him today. And you really do. You can. But, friends, if you know him, you're in this group. It says the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run to it, the tower, which is the name of the Lord. And it says, and our protected. So it says they run into it. Well, the picture is the tower, but we're told that the tower is the name of the Lord. So you're running into the name of the Lord. Tying right into New Testament terminology, in his name. Beautifully picturing our dependence on him, the person. And friends, when you're in him, the person, you're protected. That's what it says. It literally means set on high, safe, protected, above the trouble, just like that door above the ground level. Now, text is quite simple. There's the object of faith. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. There's the exercise of faith. The righteous run to it. 
There's the promise of faith and our protected. Is there not an obvious lesson here? Run to the tower. Learn to run to the tower. Now, the key to faith is the object of faith. And I was here last time, maybe two times ago, we dealt with the uh, a message called the key of faith. I'm sure you remember it with all of the but we noted that the key to faith literally is the object of faith. Now, the object of faith is God based on his word. We're the subject of faith. You know what that means? The key is in us. May I praise the Lord for that? The key is him. So the focus has to be on the object of faith, not the subject of faith. Thus, you focus on us, and we can get discouraged kind of quick. But the focus is on him. He is the object of faith. And here, we're told that... This object of faith is like, see there's a picture here, there's a figure of speech, a strong tower. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. So we're told that the tower is actually the name. The name of who? The name of the Lord. So let's focus on that name today. Because that's what cultivates faith. As you look at the object of faith. As you look unto Jesus, then the Spirit authors faith. Let's focus on that name because the name is the name of the Lord. Let's focus on the name because the name represents the person and all of the attributes of that person. Now let me just hasten to say, the person of God and all of his attributes is an incredibly vast subject. Beyond human comprehension. It's expansive. It's transcendent. It's, 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 it's absolutely a, a study. So today we're not even... We're not even going to scratch the surface, hey? You know, I doubt if we'll even scratch the scratch. But let's attempt that, shall we, in the time that we have, and let's focus on this name. Now, you notice in your Bibles, if you have your Bible open, if you see it on the screen, in your uh, printed uh, Bibles, the name LORD is in all caps. It's on purpose. It's representing a particular name of God. There's a number of names of God. But this is a particular name. And when you see all capitals, L-O-R-D, it's referring to a particular name. Sometimes you'll hear the word Jehovah in more recent decades. Theologians use the terminology Yahweh, trying to represent the Hebrew underneath this. But it is a particular name of God. That's what's referred to in our text. Now, in the Old Testament, there are what they call the Jehovah titles. Where you have the name Jehovah connected to another Hebrew word, like Jehovah Jireh. That's a Jehovah title. And in our Old Testament, there are ten Jehovah titles. So if we took all ten Jehovah titles and took the name Lord by itself, we would have an 11-point message. And no one said, Amen. Well, that is not going <laughs> That is not going to work. There's just some, 11 points. You, you can't say that quickly. It's not going to work. Okay, well, let's scale it down a little bit. Uh, you know, depending on the translation, sometimes those names are actually translated. Uh, so, like, there's one translation where uh, there's seven times where the name, uh, the Jehovah title, is, is translated. Uh, one of them is very familiar to us. It's Psalm 23, verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd. Okay, that's the Jehovah title. Literally, the Lord, my shepherd. But it's translated there. The Lord is my shepherd. We could take the seven times where it's translated uh, in many cases. And uh, then the, the name Lord by itself, and we'd have an eight-point message. And no one said, Amen. So, uh, eight points. You know, Sunday morning service, you know, there's just something about Sunday morning. It's not like the rest of the week. Uh, you know, you, 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 you got to finish on time. You got to beat the Presbyterians and the Methodists to the restaurants. You know how it goes. <laughs> and so, you know, we're going to have to scale this down. Well, let's take the ones that are transliterated. That is, when you take the Hebrew letters and you bring it into English and they create a word 
like Jehovah Jireh. Let's take those three, plus the name Lord by itself, and we have a four-point message, and amen or not, this is where we're stopping. <laughs> All right, let's begin with the name Lord by itself. This represents the strong tower of life. I love this. Do you know the name Jehovah, Yahweh, Lord, occurs by itself in our Old Testament 5,321 times? Now, friends, if you know anything about numbers of words in our Bible, this is incredible. This is stunning. It's staggering the number of times that name is used. You know, apparently God wants us to know him by this name, Lord. This is the name that God used to reveal himself to Moses at the burning bush. You remember Moses turned aside because the bush was on fire, but it wouldn't burn up. You guys know about fires out here? <laughs> Uh, forgive me, I shouldn't laugh at it, it's terrible, but uh, at any rate, so he sees this bush, it's burning, but it's not being consumed, so he goes, and God speaks to him. Wow. God commissions him to go back to Egypt, and to bring the people of God out, and so on, and, and Moses had a few questions for God that day. Just like Job. <laughs> but he had a few questions for God, and God responded to him. Amazing how God cares. And one of the questions Moses had is, well, who am I going to tell him to send me? And you're like, they're really going to listen. Who am I going to tell him? And at that point, God translates the name Yahweh with the words, I am that I am. Wow. That's the translation of the name. You tell them that I am has sent me unto you. You see, this is God with this name I am that I am, the self-existent one, the one who has always been, who always will be, and therefore is. Ah, he is the I am. He is in the eternal present tense. Tozer puts it this way, that God is at the beginning of time as we know it, and at the end of time as we know it, at the same time. Now, if you think too hard on that, we might see a little steam rise. It's incredible. This is who our God is. That's why a thousand days with the Lord is in one day and one day is a thousand years. See, he, he's, in the, he's the I am. He is the eternal present tense. This is the name that God used indicating his faithful presence in Genesis 21, verse 33, where this name Lord is explained as the everlasting God. Now, let's put that in New Testament terminology. It's the everlasting life. Did you know that eternal life is not something... Eternal life is someone. In 1 John 1, 2, Jesus is called that eternal life. 1 John 5, 20, the Lord Jesus Christ, this is the true God and eternal life. Friends, when you put your faith in Jesus to save you and you receive eternal life, it is not something forever, it's someone forever who has moved in and said, I will never leave you. You see, he is the eternal life. And so in John 10, verse 10, Jesus said, I am come that they might have life and that they might have it, the life, more abundantly. Now, friends, God so loved the world that he provided this life. But you have to receive it, so that's salvation. But when you receive it, you have that life. But then God wants us to experience him, the eternal life, abundantly. And so we have to ask ourselves as we begin this 
series of services, this revival meeting where we're seeking God and his reviving presence. And thank you for those who have prayed. Let's continue to pray, that's for sure. But think about this. As we're seeking God's reviving presence, see, this is the life we're talking about. Because the fact is, there are times where we're not experiencing the abundant life. Yeah, we're saved. Yeah, we're on our way to heaven. Praise God for that. But for a lot of people, well, bless God, it's going to be great. We're getting to heaven, but down here it's miserable. <laughs> well, now, wait a second. Jesus said, I didn't come that you might have life, that you might have that life abundantly. God wants us to access it. He moved in not to be hidden away. He moved in to impart that very life to us. So you have a divine somebody in a human somebody animating your personality with the divine life of almighty God. And friends, when you are animated by the eternal life, it is abundant. Now, if that's not our present experience, run to the tower. See, that's the whole point. Run to the name Eternal life, the eternal one, the I am, life himself. Run into that name. For years, we've had a course on declaring the gospel called Netcasters, and Netcasters evangelistic training course. And uh, I remember we used to do modules. Uh, I haven't done them for a while, but we did these week-long modules where people would come from different parts of the country and, and uh, take the whole course all at once. And uh, in that, we have on the job, going out, and so forth. But it's really a course on the spirit-filled life, the abundant life, the revived life applied to witnessing. That's what the course is about. On the first day, we used to begin on a Monday and end on a Friday, we would always ask each of the people who would come, sometimes pastors, sometimes people, who knows, all sorts of different ones, missionaries, different ones, that would come in for this. We asked, why are you here? Well, the host church on this particular week was in Chicago, a large church, had a large youth group, about 150 kids, youth group alone. And so the youth pastor was in the course, some of the other staff was, and then other people had come from different parts of the country and one from uh, Europe. And I remember we were asking them, why are you here? Just to kind of catch the pulse of what's in their heart. And that youth pastor, he'd been there five years, he was a very winsome young man, uh, really, <laughs> he was funny, he was smart. He was handsome. He was, you know, all that stuff, you know. And he got up, and he wasn't joking around. He said, I'm here because I don't know what it means to be filled with the Spirit. He said, I got to know. With deep earnestness, he said, I cannot come to Friday and not know what it means to be filled with the Spirit of God. Well, I wonder. Because the Bible says he fills a longing soul with goodness. You see, when you seek him, when you're hungry for him, he fills you. Here was a hungry heart, and I knew it. He was hungry. You know, by Wednesday, the guy was needy with God. I mean, the guy was needy with God. And on Wednesday night, uh, there was a midweek service that they had right at that church, and so they asked me to preach in the uh, auditorium to the, to the church, uh, the youth. They had a uh, separate meeting, and normally this youth pastor, he had a, uh, you know, a fancy handout and all that kind of stuff, but that night he chucked over that and went into those teenagers and declared what God was doing for his soul. Now, teenagers know faith from the real. And they knew he was being honest, he was real. And so young people, he said, I owe you an apology. 
strong tower of life. Secondly, there's the strong tower of provision. This is uh, one of the Jehovah titles. It's Jehovah Jireh. It occurs one time, and that's, excuse me, it's in Genesis 22, verse 14, uh, when God called Abraham to go sacrifice his son Isaac. That's an amazing story. And as uh, they get to the place of sacrifice, uh, see it in the distance, Abraham tells his servant, you stay here, my son Isaac and I will go and worship the Lord, and we will return. That was a statement of faith, because God told him to slay his son. But he knew this was the son of promise, so he knew God was either going to resurrect him or something. And as they're walking now, just father and son, Isaac says to his dad, Dad, I see the, uh, I see the wood, I see the fire, where's, where's the lamb? And Abraham runs to the tower as he says, God will provide himself a lamb. Amazing statement. They get there, Abraham builds the altar, he puts Isaac on it. The best we can tell is Isaac was a full-blown adult, he was probably much stronger than his dad, which means he was a part of this in absolute surrender. Abraham prepares to slay his own son, knowing that God could raise him of the dead. He's just doing what God said. You know the story. God stopped him and prevented him from bringing that knife down. And then he saw a ram in the thicket. You say, why not a lamb? Because there's only one lamb of God. His name is Jesus. But God provided the substitute for that moment. There was that ram in the thicket, and he offered the ram in the stead of his son. You know what the word atonement means? Exchange. Government, there's exchange. And so the ram was offered in the stead of his son. And Abraham called the name of that altar, Jehovah Jireh, the Lord, my provision. Wow. Now, friends, we live in a time where we need the Lord as our provision. You know what I love about this? It doesn't say just any particular kind of provision, which means it could be any particular kind of provision. Even the practical matters of life like Praise God for two days. But the practical fact was they were out of food. 
because whatever they had from the garden was now used up. He hadn't been there to cultivate and till it in those six months, so now they didn't have anything. The church people would be, uh, were afraid to cheat around him, so nobody was dropping anything off. Nobody in the town would give him a job because they, they didn't want to be connected either, and he was destitute. Now, I don't know that you and I know what destitute really is. You know, we say we're starving when we haven't eaten for three hours. <laughs> they were starving. And the little girl, seven years old, came to the dad and said, Daddy, I am so hungry. When are we going to have some food? Can you imagine being a dad and having no human means to provide? And uh, so he said, we will have breakfast in the morning. So he got up early that day and talked to God. She got up early that day because she had promised breakfast in the morning. And she came to him and said, Daddy, I am so hungry. When will we have some food? And it broke his heart that he ran to the name Jehovah God as he cried out to God Almighty to provide miraculously. He told his daughter, we will have breakfast in just a bit. Let's go out in the garden and work while we wait. They went out in the garden, and they soon heard a car coming down the country road. Hardly anybody came down that country road. It actually turned up their driveway. And so they're watching, and two men got out. This pastor did not recognize the man, but they called him by name and said, we were supposed to be somewhere else today, but God, <laughs> but God sent us here to you to give you this. They handed him an envelope. He opened it up. Inside the envelope was the equivalent of one month's wages. He and his daughter stood there stunned, knowing they could run and get some food now. And uh, the car was driving off, and they hadn't even said thank you because they were just so stunned and in awe of what God had just done. And so they ran down their driveway, turned the corner because they wanted to flag the car down on that uh, country gravel road. And when they turned the corner to flag it down, there was no car to be seen. There was no fading engine sound. There was no cloud of dust, and there were no fresh tracks. Pacific Depot. You know, God nudged his angels as ministering spirits and told that in the New Testament in the book of Hebrews. And that little girl looked at her dad and said, Dad, from now on, your God will be my God. See, she beheld God. Your God will be my God. A friend, it could be finances, it could be some other type of application, but he still is the same Jehovah Jireh today in 2022. This is the name Jehovah Nissi. It's occurring uh, one time as well, Exodus 17, verse 15. Of course, in Exodus 14, they have the great deliverance at the Red Sea, that mighty redemption out of Egypt. And now they get out into the wilderness, and there is a people group called Amalek that attacked them. Uh, so in light of the redemption from Egypt, the commentators suggest, I think it's fair, that Amalek is a picture of the flesh. That, that battle we still have, though we're redeemed. And so uh, uh, Joshua leads the children of Israel. Uh, Moses holds the rod of God up. And as long as he does, Israel prevails. But his arms get tired. You know, the human physical bodies. And uh, uh, there's that human uh, factor. And uh, when he would lower the rod of God, they would see the tide turn. And Amalek would begin to prevail. Well, enough of that. And so Aaron and Hur got on either side of Moses, sat him down on a rock. They held up his arms. So the rod of God representing God's authority was held high. And God gave Israel victory over Amalek. And in gratitude... Moses built an altar, and he called the name of it Jehovah Nissi, which literally means the Lord is my banner. Now, that doesn't do much for 
Oh, say does that star-spangled banner. Yet wave for the land of the free and the home of the brave. In other words, if that flag was waving, that meant we won! Victory! That's the name of the Lord here. The strong power of victory. We didn't get to it. Our friends run into him. See, it's the person. You know that there's only one victorious life. His name is Jesus. And when you get born again, he moves into you. You know, and his life, not yours. And when that happens, you experience victory. Why? Because he is. You know, he doesn't have any problems with bad habits, cursing, getting kicked, whatever. Why? You know, Jesus is the kind of one, if he stepped on a Lego without a sandal on, he would laugh instead of curse. <laughs>
because whatever happened with the Lord departing, that's when Gideon knew this was God. And he was terrified, thinking that he would be struck dead by any living thing. And you know, the Lord spoke through that fear. Shalom. that name. And by the way, 
love the words there in Psalm 18, verse 2, the Lord is my rock, my fortress, my deliverer. And it goes on to say, and my high tower. You see, when you learn to run under that name, you can say, my strong tower, because you've experienced God. Psalm 9, verse 10, the scripture says, and they, those who know your name, will put their trust in you. You know, friends, if we find ourselves not